All right. I think I've recorded this intro like seven times, and it's because my brain is not functioning well today. Good thing, though, is that uh, we recorded this episode when my brain was actually working. So um, uh, this is Will. Oh, my God. Uh, Will here, and uh, this is Stories with Mr. Stories. And today we chat again with my good friend Stuart, um, who runs YKS Media. We talk a lot about purchasing new camera equipment um, as I've upgraded my uh, video setup and Stu's about to upgrade his whole setup. Um, and we thought this was an important conversation for either uh, newer photographers or photographers who have kind of used up all the capacities of their current systems and need to upgrade so that they can continue to evolve. Um, and so we kind of talk about our prerequisites for deciding to get new gear um, and how to go about purchasing new lenses, cameras, computers, all that stuff without breaking the bank. Um, and also taking into the considerations of storage space, um, GPU power and stuff like that. So uh, if you are into photography and if you're into getting camera equipment or if you are a new photographer and want to hear about how um, some experienced folks kind of uh, view the whole equipment landscape, uh, this would be a really good episode to listen to. Um, we also talk about how to get started in a lot of ways with photography um, and kind of learning and testing equipment and stuff like that. So I think this was a really fun and important conversation to have and share, and I hope you like it. Um, you can find Stu at YKS Media, and uh, you can find me at Barbell Stories. And uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and get into this thing. So here it is. So you've been here before, but uh, who are you, Stu? I am Stuart. I am purveyor of all things YKS Media, and yeah, friend of Will. Most importantly, friend of Will. Yeah. What I mean by that is I that sounded really trashy. What I mean is I view that like our friendship is means a lot to me. So it's friends friendship first, film second. Yep. Um and uh I don't want to because we kinda of talked about that stuff before. I'm sorry. I'm haven't had coffee yet and as I'm I'm sipping some now, so I promise it'll get like a little bit more uh connected with my brain cells here in a second but um so we were both recently talking about getting new cameras um and for pretty different i think reasons um and uh, i know for a lot of people they assume that uh the camera they have right now is definitely not good enough and they are probably not pushing it to its like fullest capabilities yet so they just think oh i'll just get a new camera and then they get the new camera and everything is they still have the same problems that they had before um and so i kind of want to talk to you about why um you think right now is a good time for you to maybe um get a new camera and what that kind of what that process looks like to you because you have have you ever like upgraded your professional camera gear or is this like your first time doing it? No, I think that's a, I think that's a good jumping off point. Um, 
part of me, or the camera I have now, was my first ever camera. I went big. I know a lot of people can't do that, but I just went straight in and got a Sony a7 III right off the bat, um, knowing very little about photography. So that's been my one and only camera. I think on a handful of times I've rented a second body when I go to an event, but never really use it a lot. And so my camera is just getting older because I it's an old camera. I didn't. I bought it when it was been out for a few years, and I've used it a lot. <laughs> I've shot a lot with it, and so I think it's time, almost now, to look for a new camera body. Just because mine's there's wear and tear on it, and I don't want to be caught in the dilemma of being at a meet or doing something important, and my camera starts malfunctioning or acting weird. So that was the biggest motivation for me getting a new camera. Yeah, and uh, you have a Sony a7 III, and I actually, uh, I got away from, because I had that camera for about, I think, 13 months, and right around the 13-month month, um, uh, mark, my camera, the a7 III I had at the time, just stopped working once in a while. Like, I would try to switch from photo to video or video to photo, and it would take a couple of minutes. And you do, like, it, it, it's a kind of like a pretty easy workaround to get to it you just have to like turn the dial on top and then it has to like catch up to itself um to get to your video settings but mine i would like turn it and then i would just be sitting there and sitting there and sitting there and then the screen would finally turn on and by that point it's like well i've missed things and um yeah. and the autofocus was also like not working well with uh, i've noticed that with my camera most recently is the autofocus is very slow um mm -hmm. even if you turn the autofocus track sensitivity to super responsive etc it's just very slow or it's slow with certain lenses that it, you didn't used to be slow with yeah um and so i think in uh you've used this camera for both photo and video um uh, you've kind of gotten the best lenses you're gonna get for that thing um and so uh, the way that you're doing it's a way I think it's probably should be done, which is push the current gear you have like to its capabilities um, to the end of its like lifespan, which you're there because at this point it's going to start getting worse and worse. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, you have kind of two options at this point, right? You could maybe send it in and have maintenance done on it, but the cost of that, and the time it would take um, is probably comparable to how much it would cost to just get a new um, camera body. Um, so I think uh, you're doing it the quote unquote right way, which the way I see is the right way is like you use your gear until you physically can't anymore. Um, yeah, until the gear breaks or it just totally, your goals for your gear are totally different or what you need out of your gear, your gear cannot provide whether that's yeah. you've gotten become, you've become better. Your goals have changed. Your client's goals have changed. Um, but like you've, you've said in other podcasts or to people privately to me privately is that gear is great. Gear is a tool that, that allows you to do a lot of really cool things, but it doesn't make everything. It can save you in a lot of situations like, gear, yeah, the technology and this stuff is awesome. It saved me a bunch of times, but it doesn't give you a style. It doesn't give you an eye. It doesn't give you just having it in your hand. Doesn't give you knowledge 
of it. Anyone who owns a Sony thing will know that the minute they open the menu, that it has all the power, but if you don't know how to get to it, it doesn't matter. Unless you have the, uh, what's the story of the labyrinth? Um, if you don't have like the yarn attached to your hand when you're walking through the maze, you're not going to know where you are at the end of it. Sony yeah. menu systems are, have they gotten better? They've gotten different. I have not used, I haven't <laughs> used other Sony cameras to know if they're better. They look better. They look cooler. Um, yeah. But I don't know if they're, I don't know how they compare to like a Canon or whatever. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and so you're planning on sticking within the Sony system probably, right? Yes. And you're thinking the A7 four. I'm thinking the a7 IV. If I had money, there are other camera or more money, there are other cameras I would want still within the Sony family, but again, it just doesn't meet where I'm at, where I'm at financially with my goals outside of photography and video. Yeah. Um, and I just don't really need it. The things that those other cameras give are really cool, but I don't need it. Right. Um, and so do you think you'll keep your a7 III as like a backup body or will you just try to sell it? If someone gives me a lot of money for it, I'll sell it. I, yeah. I think I'll keep it though. I think I'll have it as a second body. Um, I want, I've never tried to shoot with two bodies. It looks like it can be really hard, but really rewarding. And so I want to try that for a while, probably keep my a7 III just for video. Yeah. Um, or as like the, you know, you know how people do it. They have two lens attached and maybe that's the camera I just shoot really wide with or a lens that doesn't seem to make my body malfunction. Yeah. And then use the new body, whatever I purchase as my main camera. That's fair. Yeah. Um, have you, okay, uh, this is a tangent, but um, I found myself doing this this past uh, weekend. Um do you ever just like purposely only shoot manual focus not for any other reason than just to like do it sometimes <laughs> okay um at this uh at stonehenge the past weekend um i like we i'd been to that venue um once before and it was kind of the same setup that it was and so uh, to make it a little bit more interesting and kind of challenging for myself, I only allowed myself to shoot with manual focus. And um, it's kind of interesting. It forced me um, to kind of look at things a little bit differently, um, especially when I was shooting wide. Because uh, it, so when you're shooting wide, your depth of field is a little, it, it's not different. It's the same depth of field. Um, that you would normally have with uh, your aperture setting, but um, you have a lot less compression, so it's just harder to like find what's in focus because mm -hmm. um, it'll appear as though more things are closer to being in focus than they are. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I use focus peaking um, when I'm shooting manual focus, so that basically just means you'll get like a red outline or something around things that are, are in focus. Um, but that was a lot of fun. And I really, uh, um, enjoyed that. Cause it was like, I said, it was just kind of shooting the same sort of scene that I had before. Um, but, uh, kind of throwing that challenge in there, uh, with manual focus was kind of fun, but, 
uh, I was just, uh, the reason I asked was because like, well, if all else fails when you're using it as a second body and uh, autofocus is no longer a thing, you could just use it as the the manual focus. This is one manual camera. camera. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point you bring up for people that are, I guess, listening that do shoot or want to shoot um, is that you have moments of, or then this is something that I'm learning, right? Because I started with photography from scratch, like not knowing really anything. And Will can attest to that and say, tell you stories that I've told him off air so that I don't look like an idiot or more of an idiot than I already am. But that photography, like anything else, is a skill, it's a craft. And so as you do it, you become better at it. You learn about what you want to get out of it and also what your cameras and lenses can and can't do. But with that comes practice. And so sometimes you, I know other people who do this religiously, but you can sit in a room and practice manual focusing on just random objects in your room. And how do, how fast can I get this thing in focus or move from one subject, subject to the other? I know for me, sometimes I've done that most recently. I think I told you as well at a power and grace or meet where power and grace athletes were. I was just following those guys and I was just shooting video. And so I was one practicing video, but then I chose that because it was people I cared about. So I'd be invested in it. And there was pressure of, it wasn't like training where they were going to take 20 attempts. You know, you had three attempts and if you miss it, you miss it. And if you get it, you get it, which is great. And so there is practice involved if you want to get better. Um, Just having your hands on and just trying it and messing up and then doing it again and hopefully messing up less. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important. Um, and too often people will, this is a thing I see more often than I really want to, but people go out and buy, um, either like semi professional cameras or like prosumer sort of situations. And, um, they'll just not touch it because they'll be afraid because they don't know how to do it yet. And it's like the only way you're going to get there is if you just start trying unless you've been um like had any sort of formal education um like i was fortunate enough to be able to have a little bit of that um and so i was kind of directed on how to do these things um with film um but unless you have any sort of formal education the only way you're going to learn is if you just start trying to do things um and I know that's like a scary step for a lot of people, but like you said, you just have to kind of put yourself in situations where maybe you're under a little bit of pressure um, and doing things that you kind of care about. So you don't want to screw up mm-hmm. and just start going for it and ask for help. Oh yeah. Nice thing, but just ask for help. If you have, I have no idea how to do this or I don't know. I don't even know what I don't know. Yeah. Talk to, ask people, talk to people, YouTube it, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, YouTube University for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, that's uh, it'll get you pretty far, uh, farther than a lot of things. But um, yeah, I went through a so uh, Stu, I wanted to, Stu for you to say like how you're going through the process of um, potentially upgrading your camera um, because I recently um, switched out my EOS R for a Black Magic. Um, 
and I did it in a pretty similar way, like the um, USR. It's the video capabilities just weren't like you and I talked about this a lot of like in the beginning of the summer, we were both like, yeah, shooting 4K is unnecessary. And then by the end of the summer, it was like, I'm never shooting anything in 1080p ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, like we were just talking about the landscape of what is um, considered standard had changed um, largely due to reels um, and things like that. And so uh, if you've ever like tried to shoot anything in 1080p and then crop in on it, you've run into this. It just gets really noisy and uh, there are different things you can use like noise reduction tools and things like that. Um, but to be able to get it as I've, I'm a proponent of getting it as close to the way you want it in camera so that post-processing is a lot easier and you're not relying on technology to like fix your problems for you. Um, and so I did a very similar thing where I basically put my USR up for sale and then the black magic was the same price as what my USR sold for. So then I just like basically swapped it out. Um, And this is something that um, I kind of knew going into getting a cinema camera, but I didn't necessarily know um, right off the bat was that when you buy a cinema camera, it's not necessarily like when you buy a camera where all you get is the body and then you just have to attach a lens to it. But when it comes to video, there's so many more considerations like, um, you're going to need a cage because you're going to need to like plug in an SSD and you can't just like let it hang. Um, you're going to need more cold shoe adapters cause there's just going to be more things you need to put onto it. Um, battery life is going to become an issue, uh, much more so than in photography. So what's nice about the black magic is it uses the same Canon batteries that I have mm. currently, but when it comes to recording, like I was at Cal strength and I was just kind of filming a couple of things between sets while I was training. And, um, within like 20 minutes of just kind of filming stuff here and there, the battery is dead. Nice. So yeah. Love when that happens. Love when that happens. So I, that was a pretty quick learning curve of like, okay, so I need to, cause, um, I'd been using it earlier in the weekend. Um, but it was plugged into a power adapter. So, uh, which is nice. There's an AC direct power to it. So, um, but run and gun, it does not, does not last. So I need to find a battery solution. What I'm trying to get at with all this is like, um, with cinema cameras, very specifically, you're, once you buy the body, you have to buy and like accumulate so many other things to make the cinema camera work. Because mm-hmm. the camera itself is pretty inexpensive, but by the time you're time you're done building your rig, you've spent a, quite a lot of cash on it. Yeah. Same, same for for me. With I'm looking at the right now. I haven't bought it. I need to buy it soon. I'd like to have it before the Arnold, but I'm looking at an A7 IV, and I'm looking at an A7 IV because one, it's a Sony, two. I think it has a bigger megapixel sensor, which is cool as I hopefully am shooting for more and more like clients, brands, things like that. They want to have maybe a higher resolution image or they can blow it up on stuff, which is great. Um, It 
I just think it's like a very upgraded version of the a7 III. Um, but the price point is still pretty reasonable considering what it can do. Yeah. Um, but like you said, even even with that, is there are still things that you have to con- consider. Like the a7 III only had your standard issue SD cards. Now the a7 IV takes CF Express, and it that's really good because it allows you to do great things and capture data faster than I could with a7 III. But yep. CF Express cards cost a lot more money. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can't just have 20 of them. I can't have 20 of them just hanging out in my camera case. Um, so they're all these and little... With, Go ahead. And with, uh, and with larger megapixel cameras, you're going to use up a lot more storage. Like I'm each photo... Storage. Yep. I might use it more battery. Yep. I, it will also affect my workflow when it comes to turning around images really quick and uploading stuff because all of a sudden I have 150% more data on each photo mm-hmm. and that has, takes time to run through your computer, etc. So sometimes there are trickle effects of getting gear. And I guess that is a point with people who have gear now or who want to get gear. It's not just the camera body that matters. It's the lenses. I think lenses are maybe even more important than the body in the sense of you probably keep your lenses longer than maybe you keep your bodies. You probably spend more money on lenses than you do will on your body. Um, And all the other considerations of like when I first, this is a a tangent, but when I first shot, I went and I had like a terrible, like a terribly slow Lenovo. And it was, it was terrible. It was one of those like $200 off Amazon it was not built to handle any sort of media. My and so eyes when just I was got shooting, really eyed. Say what? I said my eyes just got really wide because that's like not the thing to be doing when you're trying to process photos. Yeah, because this is just the laptop I had at the time. Yeah. And so for context, I was at the CrossFit Games. Whole nother story how, why am I even shooting at the 2019 CrossFit Games when I've never really done photography? So anyway, I'm there. And what I would have to do is I would have to take my SD card out and I didn't know anything about SD cards, so I had a really slow card, which saved me in the end. But I would have to take my card out. I would plug it into whatever the Lenovo had to like upload all the files. Then I had to turn my computer settings to do not sleep, plug it in the wall, and just plug my card in and go to sleep because it would take six hours to dump a card. Yep. You know, so little things like that. Uh, so I couldn't upload anything quickly, right? Because then I you upload it. Then you have to run some images through Lightroom or whatever you use to edit photos. I couldn't run all my photos through there because it would take another 10 hours to upload. So you had to like go through and select the photos that you liked. And if you shot 10,000 photos a day, good luck. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so those are considerations, right? Yeah. Can my laptop handle what I'm shooting? How am I going to edit my photos? Am I just going to edit it on my phone? Like, what are you... What are you doing? So there's a lot of time and money and research that probably should be done before just thinking, I'm just going to buy this new camera and it's really nice and it does all these things, you know? Yeah. I think hard drives are another really big uh, consideration uh, when it comes to... Yeah, what are your thoughts on hard drives? Or in camera, in the media, camera, like all we're talking about space, do you think that you get what you pay for? Or do you think there's some gray area of you can use really cheap stuff and it gets the job done okay so for the most part you get what you pay for 
Um, I'm, I was just holding up the Samsung T5. I use these SSDs um, for, well, I have to use them now to um, for my Blackmagic because uh, you can plug an SSD directly into it. So I'm going to... It's so small and light. You can just... They are. This thing's a terabyte and it's, it's like smaller than my phone. Um, and it's probably like maybe a hundred grams. So it's super lightweight. Um, but these things are super fast. They are like, I can upload 128 gigabytes onto this thing. Um, if I'm using a, well, this is, this is the caveat. If I'm using a CF express type a, cause the small ones are type B, right? I think so. Don't quote me on that. Uh, don't quote me on it either. But the ones that, um, not the Sony ones, but the normal CF Express cards, um, to upload 128 gigabytes onto this thing takes less than uh, 10 minutes. I think it takes eight minutes tops. And they're that, those are pretty cheap, right? Around 120, 150 bucks. Yeah. So there's uh, this is the T5. I think they're on a T7 now, but they're still selling T5s. Um, but yeah, for a terabyte, it usually costs like 120 bucks. So those for sure. But then have you ever seen these guys? Um, they're rugged drives, um, uh, mm -hmm. by the company LaCie, L-A-C-I-E. Um, but they're the only type of hard drive I'll use now because they're so much faster than normal hard drives. But that's mostly due to the fact that they only use USB-C connections. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, this is another consideration is does your computer have USB-C because if it does, it's going to make your workflow a lot faster. Um, unless you're, if you're using only USB, uh, type three, which is like the old version, um, it's going to make things a lot slower, right? Um, even, okay. So for example, for this T5, if I use a, so I can only plug in USB-C into the hard drive, but I can um, use a USB-C to USB to plug into my computer sometimes. Um, and that at least triples how long it takes to upload data. So the type of card you're using and the type of inputs you're using to get stuff from your car to your, like all this matters, everything in the chain matters. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I feel a little bit hypocritical saying all this because as I'm using all these things that are really fast, like on job sites or like when I'm shooting at meets or anything like that, when I get back home, I have these giant bricks, right? And these things are mm -hmm. super slow, um, super slow to take in data. Like for me to upload a, one of my T fives onto it, it takes like three hours. Um, and it's one terabyte. Um, and then it's just like it, more you plug it. So if you tried to upload like three at a time, it's going to mm -hmm. take exponentially longer. Um, so these are all just different considerations. So the reason I said I feel kind of hypocritical is because um, I don't know a whole lot about um, storage for like um, like NAS systems and things like that. And I'm not even going to try to explain what they are because I don't necessarily know. Um, I have to call uh, uh, my friend Bowen. Um, he's uh, Moments, Moments by Bilbo on Instagram. Um, mm -hmm. He's uh, Australian. Um, but he uh, knows a lot about NAS systems and stuff. He's going to try to like educate me on 
better ways to store things at home because I don't, and this is not a good thing. I don't have anything backed up on the cloud. I have 75 ish terabytes of hard physical storage, but none of it's on the cloud. And that's a little, where scary. do you think the best cloud storage is? Cause then you have to pay for that. I don't know. Um, the best I found and what I'm, I'm, I've used a little bit, so I think I have like 10 terabytes of storage on it. Maybe it's 20 terabytes, um, but Dropbox. But um, Dropbox was not accepting CR3 files at the time I started to try to do things. What was that? Oh, weird, whatever. Um, CR3 files, but... Uh, so CR3 files are like Canon's version of RAW. Each camera um, system or each camera will have different uh, like RAW formats. Not mm -hmm. all RAWs are the same, um, but it was not accepting CR3 files. So I couldn't upload anything onto there except for um, movie files and then my old ARW files from Sony. Um but I couldn't mm. upload anything new. So I was like, well, this is kind of stupid. And then it just stopped. Yeah. Um, but I want to see what NAS systems are like. The only issue with NAS systems is they're dumb expensive. Um, it, they're really expensive. And most cloud storage is going to be pretty expensive. A lot of them are subscription-based. Um, and they'll run, for unlimited storage, run anywhere from like 20 to 50 bucks a month. Yeah. Some... And I sometimes I don't I don't really pay or have a ton of um, stuff in the cloud just because you have to pay that premium to get a massive amount of storage. Yeah, which what I would need, and I just don't have the money to fork over twenty fifty bucks a month just to that. Um, one person that is really knowledgeable about this, and he even makes posts about this every once in a while, is Nat from Hook Grip, just because yep. he has decades worth of footage you know he probably has like a million terabytes of weightlifting so, yeah. so he's had to and he saves all that stuff and he's a very meticulous thought out guy so if you have probably questions about that if you can get a hold of him he might be able to tell you what's the best kind of hard drives to buy where to put your where to put your stuff if you want to put in the cloud things to consider um stuff that i wouldn't know and i wouldn't want to give information on yeah, same. I don't. I can't even begin to make a recommendation for cloud storage because I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's okay. Like I'm fine with that. Um, knowing that um, there's some. I mean, like you just kind of have to understand that there's certain things you're not going to know and find answers and solutions, even though they make you want to slam your face into a wall. Mm-hmm. Um, in your Lenovo overnight. Oh my gosh, dude! When you started saying that, my my eyes bulged because I just imagined how much of a nightmare that would be. But and I guess that's another thing too is like I edited um, on a 2015 MacBook Air up until like June of 2020, and so everything pre um june of 2020 i edited so many videos i edited like two documentaries like on that thing mm -hmm. um and i remember export times for like a 
two minute video used to be like three hours. It was so stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I I know I made a. I made the decision to like buy a couple lenses instead of buying a new computer at the time, like during the years before that. Um, because for me having better images, um, over having a faster workflow was more important to me. Um, Mm -hmm. but then it got to the point that the cameras and the lenses I had gotten produced images that were literally too complex for the computer to handle anymore. Yeah, it just I mean, like with it. my old computer, um, even the one that I had in Hawaii that kind of messed up on me, shooting in 4K was terrible because when I uploaded it, I would, to at least to Premiere, my camera or my computer couldn't handle it and it would just start, it would just ruin my camera <laughs> or my, my laptop. So, yeah. yeah, things like that. I mean, come back full circle right again. I can have a camera that shoots 4K if you have a two hundred dollar Lenovo, who cares if you have four K footage on your SD card? You can't do you can't anything do anything with it. with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I'm really happy. I I, I got to, when I did upgrade, I got like a this is a MacBook Pro. I think it has thirty two gigabytes of RAM or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I uploaded and started editing. I almost dropped my coffee. Uploaded and started editing. Four um, K. Uh, three to one black magic raw um which is like insane resolution and i was like just speeding through like there was no hitches or anything mm-hmm. um and there's a couple tricks to do that like you don't color grade or add any sort of effects until you have your timeline all finished and then you kind of add effects in at the end um and add your color at the end too because that will um save your computer from having to render all those files for you to go back and look at um Mm -hmm. but yeah if i if i I can't imagine oh my gosh trying to uh, uh, trying to get premiere to oh that was another thing okay so um i realized once um and this is the thing where you definitely do your research um but when i plugged in my hard drive that was attached to black magic to start trying to edit footage on it mm-hmm. i tried to open it in final cut pro and final cut pro can't handle the codec really it, it can't handle raw um well from black magic but thankfully the uh camera came with a davinci resolve key um and so I was able to, I, so now I'm like teaching myself DaVinci Resolve mm-hmm. um, because I like Final Cut, well, st- I'll still use Final Cut because of the, I really like the workflow of it um, for um, projects I do for other people, like I edit for a couple people. So um, I'll just do all that through Final Cut Pro um, mm-hmm. because it's not, it doesn't need to be as sophisticated, um, but like, from now on, all of my stuff is just going to be run through DaVinci because Final Cut Pro literally can't handle it. <laughs> so dumb considerations like that. Had I not known yeah. or had uh, the camera not come with a resolve key, that would have been another like $300. And so it's just, expensive, man. It is. It is really expensive. Um, and if you're not getting paid for this kind of stuff, like, I, uh, it is, it's a very expensive hobby if you're, um, not getting paid. And if you are doing this just as a hobby, 
wow i'm impressed that's great <laughs> it's great good for you because that means you've yeah. got your ducks i don't get paid much to do this i'll tell you that but yeah we make it work yeah yeah it gets hard sometimes but yeah um one thing uh so have you ever you've you've never had like a crop censored camera have you Mm-mm. okay so my uh my first three digital cameras were crop censored um i had a nikon and then i had another nikon and then i had a sony a6400 and those three were all crop censored and then i went to the a7 III, and that was my first full frame um and now um shooting with micro four thirds because that's what the black magic is the amount of so it has a it's basically a 1.9 um crop factor so what that means is it it basically takes so let's just say you have a 25 millimeter lens it's basically going to act like a 50. it basically doubles the focal length which is great um but the drawback there is that like all of the lenses that i have that are wider like now though i have a i only shoot with primes so I have a 24, a 35, and a 50, and sometimes we're at a 70 to 200. But now my widest lens basically is a 50 on that camera, and that's not like wide enough for me. So that's great. Um, but that was one thing that was like I knew it was going to be a kind of a drawback, but I was like, it's either this or I buy an external monitor and like modify my EOSR, which is going to cost more down the line anyway. And the EOSR is already out of date. So what's the point of that? Yeah. Um, I wonder how the, many people are still listening to us. I don't know. Hopefully maybe like a couple, I'm sure a couple of people who are interested in photography might be maybe. We'll who see. knows? <laughs> um, but have you ever like, well, no, cause you haven't had a crop censored, but the depth of field, um like you lose a stop there Mm -hmm. and that sucks a lot because i only have experience with that with switching to aps-c mode oh yeah so that's essentially like aps-c is like crop factored yeah Yeah. so it's like a 1.5 or 1.6 crop factor something like that yeah and it's great for having that extra focal length but you lose I needed it at Wadapalooza because I didn't get the access that I had. So I had to be, I was far away from the athletes and the style I wanted to shoot in was not to be that far away. And so I had to use APS-C to get some stuff. It worked out. Did you have a teleconverter at the time? Nope. I was just going to say, could you imagine having a teleconverter and then also shooting APS? Okay, so. I mean, I could have made it work. (laughs) So a teleconverter, you want to tell us what that is? It converts the tele. No, but for real. (laughs) Oh, man. I used one at the CrossFit Games this past year. It's basically like a magnifying glass that you put on that that connects to your camera body and it sits in between their lens and your camera body. And it acts like a magnifying glass so that you can take your lens and basically effectively zoom it in without having a zoom lens. So it's almost doing what you said like switching to APS-C mode does sometimes and 
I guess the other factor is it allows you to keep whatever your aperture is, original aperture is in your lens. Right? Does it do that? I forget. Like when I went to the, yeah, if I have a 2.8 mm-hmm. and I put this teleconverter on, mm-hmm. no, 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 it, it does, it doesn't. No, it That's doesn't. right. What am I, yep. think, what am I thinking of? There's a speed booster. So I'll talk about speed boosters yes. in a second. Okay, anyways. But yeah, but then you lose you lose whatever. If you were trying to shoot at 2.8 and you love 2.8 and you're never going to shoot anything with 2.8, you can't put a teleconverter on a 2.8 and still shoot 2.8. No, because I think the teleconverter you you were using was a 0. 0.7, I think, right? It, it was, was 1.4. Oh, whoa. Okay. okay, so that means... <laughs> um you're gonna lose like 1.4 stops of well Mm -hmm. yeah so basically i have a chart for this because aperture is the most confusing because the numbers are all wonky but yeah i think that would act more as like a like an f4 or something yeah f4 um yeah but it does give you the extra focal length um because then if you put a one uh 1.7 on a 70 effectively you then have a oh crap 70 times 1.7 i suck at math 100 excuse me 119 so that's your starting focal length but then if you were to also do APS-C mode it would give you like a 178.5 and you'd be shooting at like probably f 5.6 which is stupid like great for like let's say people who do nature photography Yes. And you don't care about bokeh. And it's Excellent. sunny outside and you're like, I don't need to, I can't shoot at F1.4, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Yeah. But if you're shooting inside for things like we are, that makes you have to crank up other settings that will introduce weird stuff into your photo that you might not like or that you cannot get rid of. Yeah. So that's the part where it's annoying for all the non-photo people that are still listening to this. Yeah, if you're not into photography and you're listening to this, good on you because I feel like we're – I know that if other people were talking about their line of work like this, I'd probably feel like we were speaking a different language. Um, but, yeah, essentially that crop factor is insane. And like you said, for if you're outside and you want a lot of things to be in focus, like if you're trying to shoot a bird, shoot as in like photograph a bird, um, having some things that – like having a larger depth of field means more things are in focus and you'd be able to get that bird more likely to be like in focus. Whereas with a more shallow depth of field, you have less things in focus, but it, if depending on your style, you might like that. Yeah, your margin of error for getting things in focus is smaller, Very small. but it adds an effect to your photo that you cannot replicate in right. it, production. It, it adds separation, right? Mm-hmm. So separation from your background. And there's a workaround around this. If you start shooting um, telephoto or super telephoto, um, compression will give you a pretty similar effect. And compression, all that means is if you're shooting at like, if you're shooting something really far away and you're using a really long lens, basically it's going to squish everything in the background and in the foreground. Uh, whereas if you're shooting wide if you're shooting like with a 24 35 you're still gonna have things that look like they're actually there like there's they get less smushed Mm -hmm. so 
it looks like more things are in focus. Even yes. though they're not necessarily in focus, you can tell what they are. When you're shooting with compression, you can't necessarily tell what things are. So then compression plus bokeh equals lots of separation. <laughs> like when you're shooting with a 105 at 1.4, which I still really want to do. I did it. Yeah, I know you did yeah. it. Um, it's beautiful. You get yeah. some really cool portrait looking kind of stuff. It's really pretty. I mean, the closest I got to that was shooting uh, Bowen's 85 1.2 um, at Worlds. And I shot that sucker at 1.2 and it was, it was good. It was dreamy. It was so dreamy. I didn't dare try to manual focus that. Because I, I did manual focus at uh, Stonehenge, but it was at 1.6. And even that was like my margin of error oh. was so slim. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But 1.2, that's, uh, that's rough. That's next level skill. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, like, that's the only way you used to be able to do it. Um, what are your views on people starting photography? What I mean by that is like, what like tips for people yeah um i would say do do a lot of research ask a lot of questions um just because there's a lot of information out there there are a lot of different cameras and lenses and you don't know what you're doing um that's a i think that's something that helped me decide i didn't just blindly buy the a7 III. i was just around a lot of people that because i work in the film industry and so I was around a lot of people and camera departments that deal with things like this all the time. And granted, they deal with cinema cameras, but just from asking them, listening to them, what they're talking about, it felt like the Sony a7 III was the best camera at the time for what I was trying to do. Um, I think on a just on a general note too, you if you have an iPhone or an Android, if you have a smartphone with a camera, take pictures with it. Yeah. The technology on there is really awesome. You don't have to wait till I have to have a cinema camera or I have to have a camera that costs whatever in order to shoot. You know, you can do really cool things with a, with whatever fits in your pocket. I mean, I have some friends who run Instagram pages that do travel photography and I routinely ask them, Oh, what camera did you use? And like, Oh, I use my iPhone 12 you know, or whatever it is. And so you yep. can get really cool things with there. So shoot, shoot with that. And that helps you. And that's from more from a perspective of the cameras that Will and I have will do things that an iPhone can't. Yeah. But that helps you one, get an, at least for me, when I even do it now, it's like get an eye for photography. You learn your style, you learn what you like taking photos of. Then you kind of informs your decision of, well, I really want to do this. And my phone is lacking. And so then it informs your decision on what you need to buy in order to achieve what you want to achieve. And you won't really know that until you pull a camera out and start shooting and realizing where you, whatever you have is coming up short. Um, I don't know. I did that. Those were the, at least that's what worked for me. I asked a lot of questions, saw what other people did, shot stuff with my phone. And Oh, another big tip was for, at least for me again, I jumped into photography not knowing a lot. Like I didn't know all the nuances or, you know, half of what I even knew now. And I don't know, I know like 3% of all photography maybe now um, is 
finding something that you like to shoot or that you're knowledgeable in really helped me because then I wasn't trying to learn about a new sport as well as trying to learn about my camera. I really was passionate about weightlifting and CrossFit and I was doing it myself and I understood how athletes moved. I understood just the nuances of the sport. And so it helped me capture good images and also it helped me stay invested in what I wanted to do and work through uploading six hours, you know, plugging my Lenovo into a wall is because I really liked what I was doing. And if you, you know, if you got a camera and you start shooting CrossFit and you hate CrossFit, it's going to be really hard to stick with it when your images suck or when you don't like your editing style or when your, your Lenovo crashes, you're not going to want to <laughs> do it again. Um, I think those are really high level things because I know we've been talking about a lot of the really technical stuff. Um, yeah. Would you add anything to that, Will? Uh, yes. My So I have a very traditional outlook on starting photography because I was brought up very traditionally. Um, and so the two things I would tell someone now is only allow yourself 24 frames. Only allow yourself to shoot 24 frames because I think a, day, a lot of uh, what? For, per session. So like if you're uh, – when I say session, I mean like if you're like I'm going to go outside today and shoot landscape photography, I would say only shoot 24 frames. Um, if you're like at an event um, and say like you're shooting basketball, basketball is quarters or halves. It's halves. Quarters. Quarters? Excuse me. If you're shooting basketball, I would say like you get 24 frames per quarter or per half, whatever it is. Um, and if you're shooting like CrossFit, allow yourself 24 frames per like event, not event as in like the whole CrossFit games, but like event one of the CrossFit games. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this will do is force you to be more intentional uh, because most people who are starting photography now uh, were brought up in an age of technology where storage in space was cheap. Um, and so they had the availability to just kind of lay on shutters or like lay on the shutter button on your phone i don't know anybody who would lay on their shutter at all no certainly not certainly not us um but i think it's a really important skill to be very intentional about what you're shooting um and this and my perception is kind of skewed because again i was brought up very traditionally but i think there's way more to be said about someone who can take five or six really good photos of something more so than taking a thousand photos of something and none of them are great does that make mm-hmm. does that make sense um so that's All killer no filler yes yeah whatever that means i think i can i think i can kind of figure out what that means um but then uh so that's number one is a limit how much you can shoot because it will make you be more intentional about what you're shooting. Um, And then the second one is just seeing frames anywhere you are. So just, you don't even have to have a camera for this. You don't have to have your phone out. You don't need anything except for to walk around and just see photos around you. Um, Mm -hmm. 
this is something I remember doing since I was a kid, like literally since the first time I picked up a camera, I just started seeing the world in frames. Um, and so I think it's a, I think it's a, an important skill because of um, when you get into a new environment or something like that, you just kind of like train yourself to see like what the cool things in the area are. Um, mm -hmm. So those are my, if I could give two pieces of advice, it would be, that i think those are good thanks Stu. thanks yeah. um i remember i told you i was gonna uh tell you a little bit about this and um but this is new so um i've never owned a cinema camera before mm -hmm. and i knew that there were cinema lenses and that they were different from uh stills lenses but i didn't necessarily know how or why they were different but now i know so you know how with uh cinema lenses you get a t value instead of an f value for aperture mm -hmm. so the f value is a mathematical equation um and it has to do with the focal length and the distance between the element, the front element, and the sensor. So basically size of hole and then front of element to sensor. There's a math mm -hmm. equation there, right? Um, but T value is the size of the hole and then some other thing. I can't remember what it is right now. But essentially, an F value could be different based on the lens you're using. So I experienced this when I was shooting um, at the, well, anytime I'm using my 50 millimeter 1.4 from Canon, it's a vintage lens. Um, and I'll have it at the same F value as my other lenses, but it will always be brighter for no reason. It has the same depth of field, mm -hmm. um, same angle of view and everything else is like a normal 50, but it doesn't matter what F value I'm at it will always be brighter on the 50. So F values can give you different um, readouts when it comes to your settings. Like it can show you that you're like a little bit over underexposed based on the focal length you're using. With T values, once you set a T value, so say like T 2.2, and it's the same across all of your lenses, across all focal lengths, it will look and it'll meter exactly the same. So they use it, um, they use T values in cinematography because you're a lot of times using a lot of different cameras to shoot the same thing. And um, in order to create less work with color correcting and like correcting mm -hmm. exposures, they made the T values so that they would all be similar across all lens types. Because sometimes at 1.8 on like a 200 millimeter 200 millimeter lens, and a 2.8 on like a 12 meter 12 millimeter lens, they could give you different um, readouts on your meter, and they can be over underexposed, and having all the settings the same. Sounds like there's a lot of science in there that I don't understand, but yeah, same. I don't understand I've the science held yet. I've T lenses in my hands that have been more than the paycheck that I've made for an entire year. Yeah. It's a very yeah. scary feeling. Yeah, those they're massive too, but they look like telescopes. Yeah, mm -hmm. 
and uh it's really interesting because their sigma makes a couple of um cinema lenses that are basically just rehoused um stills lenses Mm -hmm. so like there's a specific like a 18 to 35 1.8 that's used for crop sensored cameras um like a efs mount or like a they, I think they make a micro four thirds mount too for it, but whatever, doesn't matter. Um, but they also make a cinema lens, and it's basically just rehoused because um, all of the elements and stuff are the same, like all the glass and the the meat of it's the same. But they just rehoused it. The eighteen to thirty five is like seventy seven millimeter thread, so that means mm-hmm. like, I mean, no, I'm sorry, it's a seventy two. But then the cinema lens. Like it's just gigantic. It's at least quadruple the size of this thing, um, just to like house the smooth aperture um, ring and the smooth focus, because yeah. there's no manual aperture ring on the eighteen to thirty-five that first stills. T lenses are crazy. This is as nerdy as I'll get, but I was just looking when I was trying to do some research on my camera. I was reading a couple blogs that were talking about different lenses and all this nerd stuff. And I saw a lens that looked really cool. And I was like, what is that? And it was like one of those like F 0.67 or something like that. And I can't even imagine one pulling focus (laughs) for that, but then two, the kind of beautiful images you can get out of that. Cause it's like the lowest, the lens that I have that will give you the, creamiest buttery whatever is a f1.4 yeah right? and you're telling me you can go to f whatever below one crazy so the only full frame there so a lot of those like below 1.0 apertures a lot of those are reserved for um crop censored cameras mm-hmm. because that f like 9.5 or something like that turns into an f1.4 um or it but turns still. into but still, yeah, it's insane. But Nikon makes a full frame 50 millimeter 0.95. Um, and it's ma- heavy and massive, and it's only manual focus. Yeah. Could... Yeah. Blows my mind. <laughs> but yeah. I don't have enough money to own any of these, so they just look cool. But yeah, for those who don't know, we're talking about lenses that are like minimum, and this is probably way too short. Minimum. I don't even say minimum. There are lenses out there that are fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars. Yes, yes, yes. And some people own these things. Barbell Stories and YKS Media do not make no. fifty or sixty thousand dollars doing anything, much less no. just to buy. Not just to no. <laughs> a I'm single not, lens. Uh, there's, I there's nothing that I would not buy that lens. Good thing is that there's rentals. So like I, I do. You, you use okay so when okay so i guess since we've talked a lot about gear and stuff mm-hmm. if you're going to try to maybe purchase something i recommend lens rentals because mm-hmm. um and you can uh i want to open you up to the place you use too but i use lens rentals because they do a try it to buy it sort of situation so you can rent the equipment and then if you like it you can just straight up buy it from them at a reduced rate so um and a lot they are always running different promotions and stuff like that um 
but if you just need to either if you're looking to buy a camera or a lens um, and you want to try it out first i always recommend doing that always make sure you actually enjoy using it because um, the worst thing yes. you could do is buy a camera that you're never going to use because you don't enjoy it right yeah. like you have to be able to really like what you're working with um but yeah lens rentals it's really easy um they always offer like 25 dollars off or something like that which basically pays for shipping um and it's great um i've never had any issues with them Stu, you um busted one of their teleconverters once and it was pretty easy for you to like file an insurance claim on it stupid yeah i don't know how i busted it i like bent the frame on a teleconverter I think just because I was holding my camera wrong for a whole week, but I've used lens rentals. That was the only time I used them. Their insurance policy, because I got insurance through them on the camera, it kicked in, which thank goodness it did because teleconverters are very expensive. Um, I use a company called Aperture Rent. I don't think they're as big as lens rentals. I don't know if they have a buy, use it to buy it kind of system, but the reason I use them is because they have an office 15 minutes from my house so I can go in and pick up the lens and they're saved on shipping and all that kind of stuff. And I get to talk to people if I have questions about the lens. Also, they are really good about extending lenses because a lot of times Will and I will rent lenses to go to these bigger events and the plans shift and the dates change and a bunch of stuff. And so they aperture rent has been really good and kind with if ever I have to extend a lens, they charge me money for it. Yeah. But they've never given me a hard time and say, Oh my goodness, this lens is due back at this time. And because you, you have to send it back or if you don't, we're going to charge you the full, you know, they, they don't punish you. They just say, okay, here's the daily average of what your lens costs per day. Pay that and bring the lens back when you get back to wherever you're coming from. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think both of those companies are great. And there are a lot of there are a lot of other companies and even like third party things like like an Uber for or Turo for lenses, I believe that individuals can rent out their lenses. Whoa. Um never used it. Yeah. I know people who do, but renting is, is super helpful in understanding what you want to use. Um or if you just like want to shoot at the CrossFit games and you're like, I don't have money to buy a 70 to 200, you know, rent one. Yeah. You can. Um, I did that this year and it was great. Yeah. Or like li even little things, rent it for a weekend. Yeah. Cause and, you can, you can rent it. I think the lowest amount of time you can rent it for is a day. So you can yeah. legitimately rent it for a day. Yeah. And some lenses, I mean, depending on what you want, but some lenses are like 30 bucks and you yeah. have, if you can have 30 bucks, you rent it for a day or even a whole weekend and you just go out and you use it and you're like, okay, I've spent 30 bucks on this. Did I like it? Et cetera. Before you spend 500, 800, a thousand, $2,000 on a lens. And I think it's really important too, because it like honestly renting. So I rented the RF 70 to 200, um, for the CrossFit games. And, um, it made me realize that I definitely didn't want to own that lens and I was totally okay with only renting it for when I needed it. Mm -hmm. Um, cause like just kind of carrying around and like shooting around with it. Um, I just didn't like have that great a time with it except for when I was like on the floor of the CrossFit games, like I needed the reach. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I love the 70 to 200. 
Yeah. I love it. I bought it because I yeah. rented it enough to where it's like, this isn't, if I keep renting it, I'm going to rent the full value of this lens and not own it. Yep. So I bought it. You know, I saved up for it and thankfully I was able to save up quickly. But yeah, I loved it. Will didn't love it. And you only learn that by using it. Yep, exactly. And I think I learned the same thing with like international competitions. Like I know now anytime I go to an international competitions, anytime I go to an international competition, um, I need to have some focal length above 50 because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. you just can't get close enough. And I really like, if you know me, you know, I like to get really close to things um, and you just, yeah. you simply can't. So, um, and you don't know these things unless people like Bowen was nice enough to like, just here, you want to borrow this. And I borrow it every day of the competition. Like I would just walk up to him and be like, Hey, can I, uh, kind of slap that on my camera? And you just yeah. every day was like, yeah, sure. I'm not using it. So. I mean, that's um, what you did in Rome when Will and I met. In oh Rome, yeah. Uh, at the, at a weightlifting event. And I had a lens that I wasn't using a lot. And so Will used it a lot and he got some really cool images out of it. And that actually propelled me to try and use it more because when I first used it, I wasn't really sure how I was like, I don't love the images I'm getting, but I really like this lens. And then I saw some, some of his will shots that, <laughs> that he's made. There's a uh, one shot of a Romanian weightlifter that he got that was sick. And I was like, this is awesome. I want to replicate it. You're not going to say their name. I can. Uh, it's it, it's fine. I don't care. I was just like, oh, you, she's your friend. Aren't you going to say her name? Yes. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I don't know why I said a Romanian weightlifter. Laura Donatoma. Yeah. Um, great weightlifter. Will got a really cool photo of her. I think it was black in black and white. Yep. Um, in the training hall, uh, yeah. she trained in the back corner, and he got. I think she was doing. It was either a cleaner, cleaner snatch. I don't remember what, but she was snatch. at like triple extension on her toes, really beautiful, and it was a really wide shot, so it was pulled out, and you kind of got to see the, va- the vacant training hall around her, which tell told told a story of like who T- Toma is, how she trains, um, and just the lay of the land of what the competition was like when Toma trained. Yeah, that was really interesting because that was the first time I saw like, so essentially here's what happened is we were all in the training hall. When I say we all, I meant like all the media people. So like Gregor, uh, you, Seb, and they were all just kind of like huddled together, like on one platform that was at like the 45 degree angle. Yeah. And everyone was just kind of chilling there and she would go take, she would take a rep and everyone would like film her. And then she would stop and then everyone would set their cameras on and we'd pull out their phones and start like, you know, just putzing around on their phone. And I was like, what is, what is going on yeah. here? And then when Toma would stand back up, everyone was like at the ready cameras yep. focused. It was really, um, it was an interesting uh, thing. Cause I'm, I, that's, uh, okay. yeah, it's just not how I'm used to. She uh, has that. Things. She has that. I don't know if we want to get into like talking about weightlifting or that can be a separate topic, but she has that draw and that magnetism, whatever you want to call it, like sex appeal, whatever it is, that when Toma lifts, like not and not all lifters have this. Um, everyone is aware, including even other weightlifters. And she doesn't have a big gregarious personality. She's not a super vocal person. She's not super. She doesn't come in the room and people are like like a Lasha, where it's like you're physically very large and everyone sees you. Toma kind of will sneak in, sneak out. But yeah, that night, everyone, there are other people training. 
Yeah. <laughs> there always are normally other people training when Toma starts or ends or whatever, but when she lifts, people pay attention. Yeah, it demands a it demands a certain amount of respect. Is yeah. the way I can Everyone's uh, aware of yeah. where she is and what she's doing. Yep. No, that's a really good way to put it. Um I don't know. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? Any last like pointers or suggestions for uh, either people starting out or people wanting to uh, dive more into photography slash cinematography slash. I think we covered it. Your yeah. gear is great, but it's not going to solve all your problems. Yeah. Ask questions, learn as much as you can shoot with what you have. Um, have fun doing it. If you yeah. don't have fun doing it, don't force yourself to do it. Right. Um, and I think with a lot of things in life, like we've just not just photography, you learn a lot as you go um, that we or other people can't just tell you, you can't, you know, just, it's not just a, an equation. That yeah. If I just do this, I'll make beautiful images. You know, there's some sort of like art to it and you, or an eye for composition or whatever. And you just have to do it and figure it out. And like your style, people say, how do you figure out your style? What is your style? I want to have a style. I want to have an aesthetic. I want my Instagram page to have an aesthetic, whatever. I'm like, that's good. Yeah. Figure it out. You can, you learn that and figure it out, but I can't just tell you yeah. <laughs> to like, do you use these settings and shoot this thing? And then you'll have a style. Right. Yeah. I think it's something that you have to sort of, you aggregate a style um over time like it's what you shoot and the way that you force composition to happen and that's what your style typically ends up being and it's just something mm -hmm. that you accumulate and it changes right like um the types of colors you lean towards um sort of the uh, like how close you are how far away you are from something like those things shift and change and that's okay too um mm -hmm. You, you don't have to be married to like, and don't be afraid to change. I think that's um, one thing that I know a lot of folks like, I don't know, maybe this is just like a thing I see with more like experienced photographers, but like, don't be afraid to change what you're doing or the way you see things. Um, Cause you only learn from it. Yeah. Um, I really like what you said about don't lean on your technology and your gear. Like they can definitely get you pretty far, but someone who has far less less good someone has less quality gear will be able to produce better images if they care enough to try mm -hmm. so don't don't lean on your gear make it do what it needs to do but it's not going to save the day yeah yeah i'm gonna hop off that train now <laughs> um you're talking about the camera nerd stuff for an hour probably nobody is listening if you are listening you need more friends yeah um, I'm, I'm really sorry to, yeah um get some vitamin d no thank you for supporting us supporting will specifically yeah thanks i appreciate it yeah i need all the help i can get um what's the next thing that you're gonna go shoot or things uh, there's one thing at the end of February that I'm not sure is happening, which I can't talk about. And you know what I'm talking about. Um, 
and then uh the arnold and then i'm going out to oregon a couple times in march uh nice and maybe new york i'm not sure this i don't know what i'm doing tomorrow it's all good yeah what about you next thing i have is the arnold um arnie never been to the arnold so we'll see how that goes or it's going to be the been told the biggest weightlifting event in history when it comes to number of participants which it sure looks like that on paper yeah uh, so we'll see if we survive that um have a fun photo shoot with a friend who is a biologist now i don't want to call him an influencer because he's not that he just has a following on social and so i was able to team up with him and we're going to do some photos uh, do a little photo shoot one day thing for the company shoe company that'll be fun whoa and uh then my next event after that hopefully fingers crossed will be to go to junior worlds in the beginning of may in greece it'll be very fun hope you can come will that'll be great and very nice the end of may right now are the senior european championships for weightlifting and I would love to do that because I like to travel and I have made quite a few friends and acquaintances and just good, good times with people in the Italian, Italian, sorry, within the European, I don't know what you call it, circuit yeah, of, of lifters, including the Italians. So I think that would be really fun. It would be like a little re- reunion of sorts because some of those lifters I have not seen since Rome. Yeah, which was would have been two, over two years ago. Where's the uh, senior Europeans? It is in Albania, Tirana, Albania, the capital. Whoa, that's pretty neat. Because it was originally like tacked on to Junior Worlds, right? It was not. It oh, was okay. not. Uh, originally, Senior World or Senior Europeans was supposed to be in April in. Oh, I forget where it was. Bulgaria. And they've since moved it now to the end of May in Albania. Gotcha. Okay. Nice. Um, I guess uh, I think that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Where can people find you? <laughs> they can find me at yksme.media on Instagram or yksmedia is my website. Um, if you're trying to talk to me, <laughs> reach out to me. Instagram is probably the best way. Do not email me. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that those are the <laughs> those are the best. Those are the best ways to get a hold of me. Um, I'm on Instagram more than I should be, so holler at me there. Or I'm... if you see me in person and you say, "Hey, what's up?" Because I and I guess I can't tell from this podcast, most people don't know what I look like because I don't advertise what I look like. So yeah, if you ever, but if you see me walking around with a YKS shirt on, that's, that's me. I was laughing so hard at that because I'm the exact opposite when it comes to um, social media and messaging me, email me, please. <laughs> I will check my Instagram messages. Um, you can find me uh, at Barbell Stories on Instagram and Twitter, although I barely am on Twitter. Um, 
And if you like this sort of thing and you want to support me, uh, you can check out patreon.com slash barbell stories. Um, there's some fun stuff there. Uh, I think that's it. See you at the Arnold. See you at the Arnold. Arnie, Arnie, Arnie. Um, and hopefully we don't die. Yes, please. Okay. Um, I guess that's, I'm going to, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> yeah. Also, if you make it this far and you need people to oh. take photos of you at the Arnold, Will and oh. I are yeah, still yeah, taking yeah. athletes. So shameless plug. So if you want yeah. to uh, get photographed by Stuart, um, go to the website, which is what is it again? Is it just ykasmedia.com? It'll be in the description, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I'm gonna put it in the show notes. Uh, and then same Z's for me. Uh, although I'm only taking like one person per session and very same. limited. I'm only taking one person per session, so. Because there are so many freaking sessions and so many platforms. Yes. Yep. Six. It's horrendous. Okay, that's it. We're going to call it there. Are, are you right. good? Are yes. we good? Everything's yeah, good? We're good. Okay. See y'all. Bye.